you know. So um, I'll start by sharing a tiny story here. Um, I remember when I was in uh, primary school, we used to, I went to a Christian school. It was a Baptist school. And um, there was this, uh, there was this, devotion moment we had every Saturday, every Friday morning used to be called PPI. I, I've never I've never known what the PPI initials stood for. <laughs> <laughs> never. Um, it was a good time for us to be silly and you know, forget about class and school and whatnot. I wasn't good at math. It always came after that lesson. So yeah, but during those moments, we would, uh, we would read the Bible, we would sing songs and, and all that. And then later on in the evening, we would have another devotion for the whole school now. And we had like a, we had a chapel. So we went to chapel. And um, I remember one time this, actually not one time, many times, most of the time, our school had a pastor. And uh, whenever he came for evening devotions, he would ask this question. If all the doors and the windows of this chapel were closed, and then, and then only one was opened, and, uh, and then a lion got in, and, and you guys, and then the lion spoke. <laughs> the lion spoke and asked, like, if, uh, if, if there's a Christian uh, here, let them stand. And if there are no Christians, he would just stand like that and let everybody out. So if you are not a Christian, you can walk out. If you are a Christian, stand and stay in there. So it asks, if, if they lie and say that, what would you guys do in chapel? Now, before he even finished saying those things, because we were very like, we use, we, Back home, we really revere into, you know, people like pastors and things like that. So we always, during those days when I was little, we always thought, if they spoke things like this, it could happen, right? Like, immediately. So before I could even finish saying this, bringing this scenario into the picture, we would all be out. <laughs> you know, everybody runs out. And then he calls us back in. Hey, it's time for praise and worship. So we all loved singing, so we got back in. <laughs> and he would ask again, so do we have any Christians in here? <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm one of those guys who would try to be creative about it and say, you know, I ran out to call the rest back in. <laughs> So, <laughs> that's where my evangelism skills started, I think. <laughs> anyway, faith is the victory. You know, is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? Um, This has always been a hassle. Got it. 
Okay. Um, that guy, R. Kent Hughes, senior pastor, Emeritus College, church in Wheaton, Illinois, USA, and an author of a couple books, including the best-selling Disciple, Disciplines of a Godly Man, writes about a cartoon in the New Yorker that showed a large sign out in front of a church which read, The Light Church, 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% type, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments, your choice. We use just three spiritual laws, everything you've wanted in a church, and less. You know, um, unfortunately, that cartoon paints an accurate picture. Many people today are looking for a light church, a light faith, and a light commitment. In the passage we are studying today, James asks each of us a question. Is your faith genuine? How can we know if we have real faith or light faith? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, says, uh, But as it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter is writing his epistle to Christians, and he is telling believers to be holy. James here is writing to Christians as well, and in our passage, you know, we will run straight up against one of the most ignored passages in Scripture. And uh, by ignored, I mean not lived out. We read the verses from time to time, but we seldom live out in love the commands made here. If you're with me, James chapter 2, verse 14 through to 20. I'll read. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that uh, the meditation of my heart 
the words of my lips may be pleasing to you. Let's preach your word. I pray that it may speak to me too. As to our soul. In Jesus' name. James makes a very, very bold statement in these verses, doesn't he? On a superficial level, he might even seem to contradict what the Bible teaches elsewhere. But, prop but properly understood, I think we will be able to see that there is no contradiction between what Paul teaches in his epistles and what James teaches in his. They don't contradict. Actually, they complement each other. You know, in verse 14, ah, come on. in verse 14, we see the argument stated. You know, <coughs> James writes, if someone says he has faith, He doesn't say this individual actually does have faith, but simply that the person claims to have faith. The verb translated here, to claim or to say, is in the present tense, yeah? which suggests this person is continually asserting his faith, constantly saying, I have faith, I have faith. But his words are hollow. No outward evidence supports his claim. So James is referring to the profession of faith, not to the possession of faith. That wasn't meant to rhyme. But it's powerful, eh? The faith that James denounces is a mere credo confession, not a faith that entails wholehearted acceptance. James has nothing against faith. In fact, through his letter, he shows us he is a great supporter of faith. Verse, chapter 1, verse 3 um, says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But he wants it to be genuine. Wholehearted. He would agree with those who say that we are not saved by faith plus works. We are not, we are saved by a faith that works. As Paul would have put it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast.
Well, here's the deal, church. If you and I are going to stand before men and women, and more importantly, stand before God and name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and call God our Heavenly Father, we better act like Him. But the sad truth is, it is very difficult to tell the difference these days between Christians and unbelievers. And apparently, it wasn't all easy to tell the difference back in the day, in the apostles' time. We talk a mean game sometimes, don't we? Hey? But you know what? Real Christianity, real faith, is not just something to be talked about. It is something to be lived. And something to be acted upon. Uh, John chapter 1. I mean John, 1 John chapter 3 verses uh, 17 and 18 says. Actually if you would allow me to go back a little bit. And start from verse 16. says by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This passage in 1 John and the verse we earlier read in 1 Peter, coupled with the verses that we also read in James, point us to a victorious faith, a genuine faith, a faith that works. Eh? Here's another deal. I can tell you just about anything, can't I? I could say, I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. Or you could say, you are a great baseball player in your youth. Or one could even say that they can walk on the water. But where the rubber meets the road of our life, there exists no evidence whatsoever for the truth of any of those statements. And so, what James is saying here in our passage is that it really doesn't matter what we say. Because we can say anything. It really doesn't matter how much we prattle about how much faith we have in Jesus. If our lives are as distant from his as an unbeliever's life, then we really need to re-examine our faith. Because something is just not right with it. Intellectual assent to a creed is, is not a saving faith. 
principle illustrated. James goes on to illustrate the logical absurdity of faith without works. The brother or sister is probably a believer, maybe a needy person in the congregation. And James attacks those who only speak kind words to needy souls. Isn't it enough to be kind? No. The needy person's body is still cold. His stomach is still empty. To make it personal, there are those in this community needing the church's help. The test for us is how we react to them. Do we simply smile and say, I hope it gets better? Or do we cook them dinner, keep their children, or help them move into new apartments? Am I communicating? Amen. Genuine conversion leads to genuine compassion. That one was meant to rhyme. James' reference on the demons makes a graphic point. No demon is an atheist. They believe in God. They exercise faith. Yet we know they are spiritually dead. We know they are not saved nor have the kind of faith God requires. A kind of belief exists which is not true faith. And then the man in verse 14 had very intellectual faith. Demons not only have this, but they lack the type of faith that trusts or relies on God. Saving faith involves all three components. Knowledge, agreement, and trust. Sometimes people just know us. Sometimes people just agree with us. But they don't trust us. When we meet at that point where we know one another, we agree with each other, we trust each other, oh man, we are living the life. That is the mind, emotions, and will. A belief that does not work is no better than that which the demons have. Mercy, Lord. Did I just say mercy, Lord? First time that lady took off from Canada, went to Kenya. She volunteered at a children's home. She kept going back there. And one time, 
she was sent on a mission to the coast and she was to work with Muslims. It was very hard for her. She fell into depression. They put her on a recess program where she needed to go to somewhere where she could recuperate. And she was brought to Word of Life. I was the camp registrar there. And I met her. And the rest is history. <laughs> I see a Christian in this lady. I see a woman who is devoted to serve God. And I'm so privileged to call her my wife. My challenge to you all would be to have a faith like that. You don't have to come to Kenya. Walk of faith. Faith is to be expressed through good works. Faith is not simply an idea separate from real life. Rather, faith is to produce in us right living, right motives, right thinking, and right relationships. Our good works confirm that faith is alive and active in us. Seek to live your faith daily in practical ways. A line from Rich Marlin's song says, Faith is like a screen door on a submarine. You helped. Yeah, my, my typing, my typing. Yeah. Blame my computer. <laughs> Yeah, faith without works. You see, now that's why it's good to come to church too. You can help your teach your preacher when they mess up in quotations. Thank you, brother. You know, it's worthless and sinks. So do you claim to have faith, church? Does your life show it? A workless faith is a worthless faith. We must ask ourselves, if I were arrested for being a Christian, will there be enough evidence to convict me? Am I taking you back to my first story where I took off? <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word, and I just want to pray right now that uh, our faith would rise and we may live for you in spirit and in truth. For we are a new creation in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.